0: Amen. You may be seated. It is our Home for Christmas series, which uh, begins today, and uh, hope that you will choose to be part of the next four services, beginning to get today and going through Christmas Eve. So that's next Sunday, the Sunday after that, and then Christmas Eve on the 24th. And uh, encourage you to bring others to be a part. We'll primarily be talking about how Jesus is making His home, where He's making His home, particularly in our hearts. And hearts of those in whom we love. We want to help others to be able to know how to be able to have that too. It will be a theme verse from Luke chapter 2 and verse 7 to where uh, it says, probably maybe the most familiar verse that you uh, know of in uh, the Bible story. It says, she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. His first home on earth was in a stable. He slept in a feeding trough probably epitomized maybe the rest of his life and where he would find himself while he was here on this earth. Uh, we know Jesus said, The foxes have holes, birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. But we know before he came, we know that before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he did have a home, and his home was where? It was in heaven. We're we'll going to talk a little bit about heaven today and understanding where his home was, of course. Uh, we have as our text today... Uh, from Colossians chapter 3, verses uh, 1 and 2, which says this. If you have been raised with Christ... i tell you what, let's say this together. Would that be okay? You see it, you've got it before you, let's say it now. If you, then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. We understand as we take a look at this passage where Christ's home is today. Hopefully it's the home of the hearts of believers today. We know it's in the hearts of believers. Hopefully He's in your home. This is how it says it in the uh, another translation, New Living Translation. I'll say this one. We don't have to say it together. It says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. So here's what we're going to be doing for the next few minutes anyways. We're going to be thinking about the things of heaven. We're going to be discussing some of those in uh, His heavenly home. And uh, as we talk about this, hopefully today this will be, maybe as part of your Christmas season, also maybe a time of encouragement even for you. Uh, my prayer is that as we begin this series, that it will be a time in which you'll be able to be sure that Christ is the center of, of all that you do in your Christmas celebration, all that you do in your attitudes, and certainly he will direct all of our actions as well. There was a Sunday school teacher uh, that was teaching his first and second grade class, and he was trying to tell them, help them to understand about how to get to heaven. And he, had, and he had told them, he said, if I go, and he said, if I sell everything in my house, I have a garage sale, sell all of my stuff, and I give it to the church, would that get me to heaven? Of course, he kind of led us first and second graders. They said, No, that wouldn't get you to heaven. He said, Well, how about this? He said, What if I went to the church and I mowed the grass and I cleaned the yard and got up all the leaves and didn't charge them a dime? Would that get me to heaven? They all said, No, that wouldn't get you to heaven. Well, how about if I was nice to dogs and cats and gave candy to children, loved my wife? Say, said, Would that get me to heaven? They said, No, that wouldn't get you to heaven. He said, Well, then how can I get to heaven? boy on the back row popped up and he said, Well, you got to be dead first, don't you? Well, therein lies the problem. Those who know most about it have already died. There are those who make claim to have visited, perhaps, and even have come back to tell us and write best-selling books. But most important is how to get there. And some who claim to have been there actually tell us that very thing. You may remember the book in the movie, Heaven is for Real, a four-year-old boy who claims to have gone to heaven. He saw his pop who had died 35 years earlier. Saw a sister who had died who his parents never told him about. Jesus was so big he said he could hold the world in his hands. Angels sang. Then there's a book called 90 Minutes in Heaven. A pastor who declared dead for 90 minutes and came back and tells incredible stories about visiting heaven. Well, what do you think? I mean, it is certainly possible. However... I want us to base what we believe about heaven not on what somebody says that they've experienced if they came back, but be sure to base it on what the Bible says. And not just on what we've heard or maybe what we think maybe it should be true, but on, only on what God's Word and what He has told us. Now, there are a couple of people who have uh, uh, at least gotten a glimpse of heaven that we know. We say we know them by God's Word. One of those was the Apostle Paul. Paul tells us, in 2 Corinthians chapter twelve verses uh, two through five, he says, "I know a man in Christ who fourteen years ago was called up to the third heaven, whether in body or out of the body, I do not know God knows, and I know that this man was called up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know God knows he heard these things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Paul was talking particularly about himself and we' talking about the third heaven he wasn 't talking about levels of heaven." based on how good you are. We know that we're only getting to heaven because of how good Jesus is. But he was talking about the kind of heaven that the heaven that we cannot see. Maybe the first heaven being that which is the sky, second being where the sun, moon, planets, and stars are. But Apostle Paul was talking particularly about the one that we could not see. And uh, he called paradise in verse 5, same place that was promised to the thief on the cross who put his trust in Christ. Wouldn't you like to have stopped Paul at this point and say, I know that you say that you cannot utter, but please tell us a little bit more about heaven and what it was like. But he tells us why he didn't tell us, because he only wanted to boast in Jesus. And then there was John also who saw a vision of heaven, or went to heaven perhaps while he was on the Isle of Patmos. We'll talk more about what John saw. But I want you to approach it like this. You've got some notes there and... I want you to approach it as we talk about some questions perhaps and some reflections and feel free to be able to write down some more questions that you might ask. You understand that a lot about heaven does remain a mystery, but we'll talk particularly maybe about what God's Word has to say about it and even use some of our sanctified imagination. Well, the first question, at least that we have listed there, when do we as followers of Jesus go to heaven? Well, like the boy in the Sunday school class said, well, after you After you die, or after Jesus returns, Jesus told the thief, Today you'll be with me in paradise. It seems kind of simple for us that if we go to heaven after we die. But yet in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're told the dead in Christ will rise first. Then when Christ returns, those who have died in Christ, those bodies will rise. I hope this will help us a little bit. Because you know that believers in Christ go immediately to be with Him. Paul wrote to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 says this. Says, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we were at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Telling us to be away from our bodies, all who are in Christ will be with Jesus immediately. Our spirit or our soul goes to be with Jesus at the moment of death. It's at the rapture when Jesus comes to take His church that all who are believers, who will be alive, will take it out of this world. And all who have died previously, it is then that they will receive new bodies. The dead in Christ will rise first. Now, we probably need to keep in, time, keep in mind that time and space as we know about it will probably be a little bit something different in heaven. In other words... There won't be people that have already died and the rapture hasn't occurred and they're thinking to themselves now, well, listen, it's about time I receive that new body. It's just probably something different. When we get to heaven, we understand. But who will greet us is a question. Now, we might remember the parable that Jesus told as a true story about the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man and unbeliever, Lazarus, who was a beggar, who put his faith in the Lord, and the Bible tells us that the angels escorted him to heaven, or Abraham's bosom, place that means, of course, also a place of paradise and a place of heaven. But the angels weren't the ones who necessarily greeted him while he was in heaven. When we come to heaven, sometimes we talk about St. Peter's going to be at the gate, waiting, you know, checking everybody in kind of a thing. But no, we're told that Jesus will greet us with well-done, good and faithful servant. We'll know that there'll be loved ones who are there, the angelic host, uh, we'll rejoice. Will we know each other in heaven? Well, we'll be the same person, but in a new resurrected state, just as the woman, women recognized Jesus. Remember the story of the transfiguration. There was Jesus and there was Moses and Elijah. And Peter spoke up. Peter recognized Moses and Elijah. And I wondered how he recognized Moses and Elijah. Now, we're not told exactly how that took place, whether they were wearing name tags or maybe somebody had drawn a picture for Peter to see. We know that that probably did not happen. But, for, but we know that we will be recognized. We, our uh, ideas and our knowledge will be greater, not less. So we'll recognize one another. We may not all, all the people at the same time or spend eternity getting to know brothers and sisters in Christ from around the world. Will we still be married in heaven? Well, Jesus answered this one for us when they were trying to trick Jesus and asking questions. He told them, will not be married nor given in marriage. Uh, had one man answer this morning, when I, he said, oh, he'd be still disappointed that he won't be married in heaven, but we might ask, well, how many of us have a perfect marriage? Well, your relationships will be perfect in heaven. You'll still have a relationship, but it'll be a step above something other than marriage. All of your relationships, your brother, sister, mom, dad, daughter, and son, will be thicker than blood kin and better. It would be perfect. Now, so if your marriage and your home life is heavenly, well, you ain't seen nothing yet. Or, if it's something less than. In the meantime, we realize that we need to remember maybe the model prayer. You remember our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So in all our relationships, we're to be working and what we might imagine them to be, and how they're going to be in heaven. So it's important for us to be able to understand that the we find the most important question, how do you get to heaven? Back in the days when you used to have tickets to go to the fair to ride rides, there's a story of a father who took his son and a couple of friends to go to the fair. And when he got there, the father bought a big roll of tickets so that wherever they go, they might be ready to go. And they came to the ferris wheel and he took off a ticket for his son took off two more tickets for his two friends they came to the, merry, uh, to the merry-go-round they took off a ticket for his son ticket for his two friends they came to the ferris wheel or the uh, tilt the world and they took out a ticket for his son ticket for his two friends and then they came to a ride and he took off a ticket for his son ticket for his two friends and a fourth hand came up to get a ticket he looked down and there was a young man that he'd never seen before and the father looked down at him and said who are you? The little boy looked up he said, I'm your son's new best friend. He said, your son told me that if I would uh, be his best friend that I could get a ticket. And the loving father took off a ticket and handed it to the boy. Friend, that's how you get a ticket to heaven. By becoming best friends with the son of the heavenly father, not by being good, not by coming to church, not by singing Christmas carols or saying the right words, but by following Jesus and turning your life over to Him. Do you have a ticket today if not we want you to be sure that you know how to get to heaven you need to know that you're a sinner you need to repent of your sins you need to know who Jesus is and put your faith in him know that Jesus is the one who was born in Bethlehem and the one who was crucified on the cross and rose again the third day and when he died he died for your sins you need to put your faith in him and through prayer you need to ask Jesus Christ to come in and to be your Savior and Lord and that's how you get your ticket to heaven. It's by grace through faith so that you might be able to know Him. May the rest of our time together and our time as we talk about heaven, may it be an incentive if you don't know Him, if you don't know for sure that you have a home in heaven, may an incentive to let you know that you can know for sure that there's a home that is also waiting for you if you place your faith in Him. And may it may be an incentive for all those who have Christ in their heart that we know that Jesus loves us and cares for us and we can know for sure that we have that home in heaven and know for sure that we want to share with others so that they might also be able to have a ticket to heaven as well. Now, you might be some other questions. Maybe you write some down. I'd be glad to talk with them about any time. Sometimes somebody asks, are we going to be angels in heaven? Well, no, no, we're not going to be angels in heaven. Angels are created heavenly beings. We are part of the redeemed. Uh, Will we be able to see on earth, see what's happening on earth? Now, a lot of these things are a mystery, but in heaven we'll be able to see what the things that are, kind of, that are happening on earth. And can people be able to see that now? Well, we cannot answer that for sure, but this is all I know is that light outshines the darkness. And the light of heaven outshines any darkness that could ever be seen on earth or anywhere else. I had a lady that asked me uh, this week, facing some stressful things and things about a family member. And so she asked me, she said, what's heaven going to be like? I thought, well, how important that becomes sometimes in her life, if not right now, at least at some point. But we know part of our reflections is that in heaven, all things will be made new. All things will be made new. Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 5 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, where the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and the death... "...shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new." Notice how many times the word new is used. I mean, let's admit, there's something good about new stuff. A new car, new clothes, new house. But the feel or the smell of that kind of wears off. How much... I bet there's probably somebody here is wanting something new this Christmas. Think about something that you got last Christmas, though, that may not still seem as new. Think about something that you might have got 10 years ago. Boy, that really has worn off, hasn't it? But in heaven, the new never passes away. There'll be a new heaven and new earth. You'll be a new heaven and new earth because all the old will pass away. 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us how this earth and this universe will not last. Let's think for just a moment, though, about the old earth, place that we live now. It's not all bad. See, it was created perfect. It was created good. It was the sin that came into the world that flawed the world. And so, there's a lot of things about earth and this universe that is pretty incredible. Think with me for just a moment. If you could take one piece of paper and we could use the thickness of a piece of paper to symbolize the 93 million miles from here to the sun. And if that thickness of that piece of paper symbolized 93 million miles, then the distance to the nearest star would be symbolized by a stack of paper 71 feet high. The distance from one end of our galaxy to another would be symbolized by a stack of paper 310 miles high. And to the edge of the known universe should be a stack 31 million miles high if the distance to the sun was symbolized by the thickness of this piece of paper. We, we've we only begun to scratch the surface of what God's made and what's all out there from that which is closest to us to the edge of the known universe. One day all of this will fade away, we're told. Heaven, all that we can see now, everything that we... everything that God has made at this point will fade away. Director of Space Exploration Laboratory in Huntsville, I heard him say, the more I learn about space, the greater my understanding about God. But one day, even though that will all be destroyed, there's going to be something better, bigger, more vast. Now, there's some debate about whether a new heaven and earth will be created or the old will be made new. The word new here means new in character. So, Maybe perhaps instead of being created new, it will be revealed. So there's a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. Capital of heaven. Coming down as if it already existed, which it surely does. The city where God dwells. The city where we will live. It exists today and it always will. It's described in Revelation chapter 21, verses 18 through 21. Verse 18 says, The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass. Foundations of the wall, of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. Almost all of them mentioned here. Symbols: the first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth barrel, ninth topaz, tenth crystal praise, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl. The street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Symbols of what heaven's going to be like. Well. Some of you like jewels, some of you hope to get some before the month is out, probably. But their symbols always in the Bible represent something better, something greater. Next couple of verses in Revelation 21, verses 22 and 23 says this, "And I saw no no temple, John writes, in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the lamp is the Lamb. The light is Christ in New Jerusalem. There'll be a new home. John 14, Jesus talking to His disciples. The night He was arrested, before He was crucified, He said, I'm going to prepare a place. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now just... And it wasn't just a place. Perhaps when he talked about a place, he's talking here about I'm preparing that like a jigsaw puzzle that only fits in one place. You who are created, you who are born again in Christ, you have found he has a place for you. You're not exactly where you're going to be yet, because you have a new home that is coming, it's a place that it's fitted and it's perfect, created for you many godly Christians are discontented on this earth. And they wrestle with it because they want that contentment. And then there are others that have realized, well, I'm sometimes discontent on this earth because I'm made for another place. Because as the Scripture says, we've been raised to a new life in Christ. And having discovered that, even in being discontent on this earth, they can discover and experience the real peace of God and peace in our own hearts that He's able to give us. We read Colossians 1 and 2 a moment ago. I meant to get you to find it, but it's okay. Excuse me, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Colossians 3, 3 says this, For you, you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. You have died to self. You've died to the, this world, the ungodly parts of this world. You've died to your own nature so that you might be able to find freedom to live for Jesus because you know you were made for another place. The disciples asked, well, now, how can, how can we believe? And how can we know the way? When Jesus was talking, how can we believe that? Jesus said, because you know me. And because you know me, you know the way. If you know Jesus, you know the way. If you know Jesus you know you can believe that you have a home in heaven that's prepared. He says, you believe it because I've told you because it's true. Jesus also said that night there are many rooms. King James tells us in the King James Version that there are many mansions, perhaps showing the vastness or the grandness of God's domain. It contains mansions. But the rooms means many dwellings. And we could say, well, He's going to make a room or a mansion for me, or it could mean that He makes all the rooms. All the dwellings for all of us to be able to enjoy. There'll be a new body. Scripture says we shall see Him, be like Him. Our bodies be made new. In the Bible, it's compared to a seed that is planted and dies, may no longer look like the seed, but it grows into something else. Same substance that was planted, like Christ's resurrected body. Our bodies might be hard to comprehend sometime. If they're like Jesus after the resurrection, He could walk through walls, but He could still eat fish. Now, yeah, you think Jesus' body was more vapor or ghost like? No way. If anything, our bodies are like vapor or ghost like compared to the resurrected body of Jesus or the, how our bodies will be. Perfect bodies sure beat the ones that we have now. To understand heaven, we have to understand what it is not. We have to understand what it is not. Scripture tells us there will be no more sea. Now, why would that be significant? Three-fourths of the earth today is made up of water. John is the first one to say, in fact, John is, it's the first thing he notices. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He's exiled there. About ten years ago, we were on a boat in the Aegean Sea. We were on our way to the Isle of Patmos. And the night before, there was a significant storm. So much kept us up most of the night. And the next morning, we could not anchor, could not dock Uh, because of the sea that was taking place. All I could do was stand on a wet deck in the rain and watch the island as it went by. Come all that way. Boy, I sure was disappointed. The sea separated. Here was the Apostle John, but he was on that same island, but he was looking the other way. He longed to be off, and the sea separated him. Don't you know, when he first realized that there was no more sea, he said, oh, thank you, Jesus, that there's no more sea. Sin separated him from everybody else. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. Nothing will separate us from those who are in Christ. Have you been separated from someone? Illness or disease or Alzheimer's or strained relationships, distance, death. No more sea means no more separation. There'll be no more crying. All of the tears of this earth will be wiped away. There'll be no death. No sorrow, no cemeteries, no mortuaries, no pains, new bodies, no arthritis. Some of us are going to get our real teeth back. These ravaged, weak, crippled, pain-filled bodies will be made new. No hospitals or nursing homes. John was as thrilled as what he did not see as to what he saw. Imagine an Eskimo who's never been to the sunny Gulf Coast. And you're having to describe to him what the sunny Gulf Coast is like. He's never felt the warm breeze, warm, salty breeze come... Uh, Upon him, he's never felt sand between his toes or never watched the sunset hit the warm water. You'd have to tell him what it wasn't. Huh, there's no more frigid temperatures, no more snow, no ice, people wearing less clothes, because it's like nothing you've ever experienced before. Heaven's like nothing we've ever experienced before. And the most important thing about heaven is the presence of our Lord. After creation, we know that first God dwelt in the garden. And the Bible tells us he dwelt in the tabernacle and then in the temple. And then Jesus came and he tabernacled among us. And now he dwells in believers. And still, we do not begin to know all we can about him. But in heaven, we will dwell with him. Don't think heaven will be boring. We'll spend our time worshiping and exploring the vastness of the Almighty like we might would the known universe. We'll bring glory to God. And we get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we see Jesus will sing and shout the victory. It's okay to think of the song, I can only imagine, because in truth, we can only imagine. It's okay for us to imagine. Talked about rooms in God's house. You think there'll be a music room? You think there'll be have traditional music in that music room? Probably. How about contemporary music? Maybe we'll find out, discover exactly what blended means, perhaps. It says we're going to sing a new song, and guess what? You're going to like it. Uh, maybe there'll be an apostles' conference room where we finally can begin to ask all those questions. Paul, what did you mean women are to be silent in church? Maybe some of the great preachers of the, the ages, that maybe they'll have their own rooms that you can come, maybe rooms named after them that you can come and begin to talk with them about that. There might even be a closet or a bathroom stall named for Brother Jeff. Who knows? I'm glad you caught up with me. There'll be a lineup room. Where you know where we come and we line up to be able to help thank people who've helped us along the way, who've given to the Lord, like the song says. There'll be an aha room. Perhaps it might be the most common thing that's said in the in heaven. where people say aha? That's what it, he meant. Aha! That's why he did this. Aha! That's why this happened. Then there'll be the reunion room, kind of like the lost parents room that they have at. Uh, Six Flags will be the place that you come where you want to be able to have those reunions. And right in the center, there's going to be the throne room to place in the very presence and essence of God worshiping. And we'll be going in and out with dynamic activity, serving God and doing things across the vast expanse of the new heaven and new earth and be able to, which we don't understand now, but then we'll have more purpose than anything that we did on earth and we'll never grow weary or tired. Revelation 22 verse 3 says, No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God, the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him. It's okay to use your sanctified imaginations. But remember, we're we're relying on the only authority we have, which is the Bible. People have been dead and brought back to life, and they said that they've seen a light or a tunnel or seen angels and people. A cardiologist, Maurice Rollins, from Chattanooga, not a Christian, but had grown up going to Sunday school, but long since fallen out of church had a postman that was uh, on the treadmill giving a stress test, and the postman fell out and began to die. He uh, practiced CPR on him and brought him back to life, and when he brought him back, he yelled, help me, I'm in hell, help me, I'm in hell. And uh, Then he fell asleep or fell, fell dead again. He brought him back out, continued working CPR. Every time he did, he said, help me, I'm in hell. And he looked at the doctor and said, help me get out of hell. And the only thing the doctor could remember was a Something that he learned in Sunday school. He said, pray the Sunday school prayer. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the man prayed, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then he went, ah, it's beautiful. His heart stopped for the last time. Episode led the doctor to giving his heart and life to Jesus Christ, change his life, and he tells people about Jesus. What we have in the Bible is just enough of the tip of a hugely glorious iceberg that lets us know, yeah, this is what we want. This is what we were made for. It's never about you or me, but it's about a wonderful relationship that brings glory to our Lord and Savior. But I probably need to warn you. When you think of heaven, if you think only of how great and cool it's going to be for you and yours, and it will be great and cool, but if that's all you're thinking, you might not fit in. Because while everybody's invited, heaven is for those who make Jesus Savior and Lord, for we were made to glorify Him. The greatness and the coolness of heaven for you and me, it's a byproduct of worshiping Jesus. One more thing with our imagination. I want, to, I want you to suppose somebody invites you to a party. The time of year people invite you to parties. Somebody invites you to a party and they come and they pick you up. You go to the party and the party's okay. You go in, there's some people you know, some you don't. Some people you just assume a void. But the appetizers are good, the music's okay, the conversation's kind of typical, and you kind of hang out at the party thinking that, you know, well, maybe it'll get better. But after a while, the one who brought you to the party comes and says, well, now it's time to go home. And you kind of hate to leave because you think, well, maybe this party will get better. But here's your ride, so you person takes you home and you come and you walk to the stoop and you open the door and it's kind of dark, and but you... Hear some rattling inside and for just a moment your heart's in your throat. And you're kind of anxious about what you're going to see, and suddenly you flip the light on. And ah, uh, surprise! It's a surprise party for you. Everybody you know that is there. There's a great wonderful feast that's taking place. The music is wonderful. And you think, This is a party. This is this is a party that I really enjoy. Why was I so worried? Or why did I want to make that party? And why did I hope that it would get better? You know, we want to make the most of the life that we're living right now, but what would you do different if you knew there's a better party waiting for you? Well, you might spend less time sulking or worrying that this party's not always great. You might be kinder to everybody, maybe particularly those people that you tend to avoid otherwise. How about this? Do you think you'd tell anybody about the better party that is waiting if you knew for sure and maybe invited some to come to that party as well what would you do for the one who invited you in the first place and is planning the big party would you spend every day thanking him doing for him and being sure that you don't let him out of your sight sure you would I mean if you knew it was true well now you know Colossians chapter 3 2 that we read a moment ago it says think more about the big party than you do about the party you're at right now. Jesus left His heavenly home so that you can make heaven your home. From heaven to the manger, from the manger to the cross, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to heaven again. And then Colossians chapter 3 and verse 4 says this, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Let's bow together. Father, we come and thank You for Your goodness to us. We thank You, Father, for a heavenly home that is promised to all those who have put their faith in You. We come today, Father, worshiping You. Father, we come because we know of Your majesty, we know of Your love, we know of Your goodness. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of the work that you are doing in our lives, life of our church, and life of our community and around the world. We pray, Father, if there's one that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day of salvation. Help us to live with full assurance that you're walking with us today and that we have a better tomorrow. Thank you for being at home in our heart. Thank you for reminding us today of the heavenly home that you have prepared for us. In Christ's name we lift these prayers. Amen.